What's going on, yo? Welcome back to the podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 17, 2019, and I'm your boy, Ralphie Cigar Ralphie. And today, we're going to discuss the case of Sonia McCaskey. Let's all go down the rabbit hole of conspiracies, fears, and mysteries. All right, all right, all right. How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? Today's Tuesday, September 17th, and I was supposed to be in school, man. I took over. I'm going to tell you why. I, I, I messed up, man. I messed, you know, I messed up today. I shouldn't have took off. I should have just sucked it up and went to school, but I didn't. I, I, I just couldn't, man. My schedule is so crazy. I, you know, I get up in the morning. I got to be... And I got this training coming up in school. This uh, this classes that I gotta do where they're nine. I it's mandatory that I'm there nine to three. Like I have to be there. There's no if ands or buts about it. Nine to three p.m. I have to be in those classes, and it's it's crazy because I work at four. You know, so I'm, I'm in the morning. I want you to think about this: nine to three in the afternoon, and then four o'clock from four to. Uh, 2.30 in the morning, I'm working. By the time I get home, it's about 3, it's almost 3.30. You know, it, that's it with no, that's that's with no hiccups on the road, no construction, nothing. Because there is construction. So at 3.30, I'm home. And then if I try to get something to eat, I waste time, which I normally do at night, which I shouldn't be. But then you got to figure, I'm, go, I'm going to bed. Let, let's, let's say I go to bed at 4, right? I got to be at school at 9. It takes me about 45 minutes to almost an hour to get to school, right? So what does that mean? That means I got to I gotta leave. I got to be leaving the house at 8, which means I got to be getting ready at 7, 7.37, right? So if I get to bed at 4, 5, 6, I'm, getting, I'm on three hours of sleep. I'm not counting the fact that I got to be up for my boys when they go to school because I got to make sure they get ready and stuff because my wife goes to work early. So, you you know, it's it is what it is. But anyway, let's get to it. You guys don't care about my personal like you want to hear about this case. Now, uh in case you haven't um subscribed to my YouTube channel, uh, I've got like three YouTube channels, but the YouTube channel that accompanies this podcast is called Creepy Cigar. I don't know why I called it they not call it Conspiracy Fears and Mysteries, but it's Creepy Cigar. And in Creepy Cigar what I normally did Originally, it was made for this podcast. This is the video of this podcast, right? But what I did was I created a um, just I started narrating scary stories because I love horror, or whatever. And I started narrating the scary stories and putting them up on that on that. But then I was like, then I'm like, you know what? People are gravitating a lot towards this true crime and this stuff. I don't know what it is with us that were so fascinated myself included in that because i'm the one who has the podcast but you know people started gravitating to us so i just started what i what i if you go right now this is kind of the first video of the series where i'm doing a synopsis brief story of what i'm reading right now so that's what i'm going to tend try to start doing I might just do the whole podcast on there and then put obviously put the audio here so you can hear it or you could put the video Pie, or I'll do the video podcast up on the, um, you know, 
on the channel where I'll just do the whole video on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> or just me doing this so you can see me, whatever. But anyway, that's what I'm doing right now. So go check out that channel, please, if you would. Uh, Creepy Cigar on YouTube and go subscribe to that channel. Creepy Cigar, um, if you like this kind of stuff. And if you're listening to this, which a lot of people are for some reason, and I thank you all. And I'm going to try to keep bringing you a lot of content and different stuff. And you can't call in and tell me something that you may want me to research and talk about or whatever. And you and yes, on Anchor, you can call into the podcast and leave messages, which I will put on the podcast as long as they're they have to do with the content and respectful and you're not just trolling. I'm going to put them on. You know what I mean? Um, and if you and uh, when I get to when I get to the point where I'm doing live streams, then of course I'm gonna have conversations with people, and we can just go in depth about stuff or crime and stuff and things you know. Uh, all right. So anyway, let's go ahead and um, what we do here. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and start talking about this murder case, man. All right, so, oh, Sonia McCaskey. Now, this case, guys, I have not, I did not hear, I did, you know, from all the research I've ever done and all the true crime, and I'm, I'm watching this new series uh, called Scorned, and I'm loving it, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous, okay? I mean, I'm watching, I'm binge-watching all these I watch anything true crime. I watch it. Uh, investigation, investigation, discovery is one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite channel, actually. I watch forensic files or all that. Me and my mom always been into that since we were little. Me and um, since I was little, you know, my mom, my mom loves all that, and I've been to that. And I've been watching these cases. I've never ran across Sonia McCaskey's case. Maybe I have, and you know, when you have a list, you kind of just pick the ones you want to, you know. Um, and this is my first time, actually, when I did the video for this and when and doing this podcast, you know, prior, obviously, this podcast, when I read about it, is the first time that I've heard about this one. And this is crazy. This is a crazy, all of them are crazy, but, you know, just each of them have their own craziness to it. And this one is really bad, really gruesome. And there's another one that's similar to this that I'm going to do uh, probably next week. That I just saw on one of the true crime shows, and and I researched more on it, and it's I mean it just blows me away, blows me away the mentality of human beings, okay, of of, of living of human beings, the, what we can, the extent of of our just of our madness, of our saneness, or of our thoughts, of our just it's just insane, so. Um, now this, where I'm reading from right now is Reno.com. This is from Reno. I guess this is from Nevada. This is a paper from Nevada. So I'm reading, uh, this is a website called Reno.com, Story News Crime. Um, and this is about the story. So let's read some of this and then I'm going to talk some, a little bit about it. So 50 years ago today, that's it, not really today. This is the... Um, uh, this was published on April 4th, 2013. This is an old article, but, you know, it's still relevant to the story. So April 4th, 2013 is the day that, the you know, when they discovered uh, this case blew open, when they discovered the body and all that stuff. 50 years ago today, uh, Reno police found Sonia McCaskey's mutilated body in a cedar chest in her Reno duplex. Okay, in a cedar chest. 
Um, even, even by the standards of first-degree murder, McCaskey's killing and rape was gruesome. Police called it the worst murder in the history of Reno. For a week, Reno police had no idea who killed McCaskey, who three years earlier skied for Great Britain in the 1960 Winter Olympics in Score Valley. In a city where people seldom secured their doors, suddenly there was a run on better door locks. Journalists from California and England showed up as the killing made international news. On April 13, 1963, Reno police arrested Wooster high school student Thomas Lee Bean, 18 at the time, who confessed to the murder and recounted macabre details while talking to police at McCaskey's Yori Avenue duplex. Wow. On July 8, 1963, a Show District Court jury deliberated for 70 minutes before giving Bean the death penalty. In 1972, the Supreme Court overturned all pending death sentences in the United States and Bean's sentence was commuted to life in prison without a chance for parole. You know, say what you want. Take it however you want. But sometimes, you know, the justice system, I don't think is ever going to be right. There's never, because there's going to be times... It doesn't matter how you make the justice system, how you put it, whether you put it, oh, let's be really fair. Oh, let's be really, you know, let's not be so gruesome. Okay, blah, blah, blah. And then something like this happens, you know, you're like, why is this guy still alive? This guy, the, 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 the vulgarity, the, the, the level of evil I don't even know. I'm using that right. The level of evil that was used in this particular crime is unreal. Unreal. And I'm going to read you the crime. It's unreal in case you haven't heard it. Oh, man. But then, you know, if we if we put too much, if we're like, oh, no, we're, you know, we're going to we're going to cut off your head in the, in town square. So everybody sees it. Then, you know, you're going to have innocent people that are getting, you know. So people that really didn't do much, and we're going to take that for granted. It's just, there's no even, there's no gray area. There's no middle ground. You know what I mean? So if you if you met this guy walking along street, uh, walking in the street in a coat and tie, you would think he's some mild-mannered banker, said Joe Elliott, who knew Bean while working in the prison system for the Carson City School District. He's very non-assuming and in no way abrasive. Warren Lude. Lerud was the 25-year-old city editor of the Reno Evening Gazette, the competitor to the Nevada State Journal. At the time McCaskey slain, he was never—he's never seen another story based on Reno that generated as much attention. Okay, let's read about McCaskey so we know who she is. Let's read a little bit more about her. Sonia McCaskey was born in in Elgin, Scotland, on February 13, 1939. Her father died shortly after, and her mother moved the family to the U.S. First to Long Beach, California, then moving to Tahoe. City in 1954. The family skied there. The McCaskey skied for Tahoe Truckee High School. With the Olympics coming to to her adopted area, McCaskey wrote the ski club of Great Britain for a chance to ski in her native country. The rest of the British team arrived in 1960. The McCaskey tried out and earned a spot. She raced the slalom, fell down, and finished last. McCaskey worked part-time as a ski instructor at the Slide Mountain Ski School and also worked as a secretary for Blue Ribbon Meatpacking in Sparks. She had been married and divorced and had a child from that marriage and a 10-month-old born out of wedlock at the time of her death. This, oh my 
goodness. It just gets worse. All right. This is okay. Let's now we're going to the body. The actual crime. On April 5th, 1963, a woman caring for McCaskey's 10-month-old son told police she was concerned because McCaskey did not show up for her usual visit. Reno police officer Most Mort Ammerman went to McCaskey's home at 2640 Uri Ave to check out to check on her. He found the cedar chest. It was also weird that it took me several seconds to realize there was a human body stuffed into her chest. Ammerman later told reporters, if Ammerman had been expecting a homicide, he would have been mentally prepared. I was just there to deliver a message from her babysitter, Ammerman said, but seeing McCaskey's remains was like being hit between the eyes with an axe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why they picked that terminology for this, but okay. Reno police originally thought the murder was done by someone who knew McCaskey well, since there was no sign of forced entry. They also investigated the possibility the killer had knowledge of butcher or uh, butcher or surgery skills. The case had all the markings for a news media sensation. It was a grisly murder of an attractive young woman. McCaskey had a diary that detailed her love life, and police questioned her lovers to eliminate them as suspects. Plus, Reno was still a small, sleepy town. It became very quickly known that it was not another terrible murder, LaRue said. This was a unique, different kind of murder. It was gruesome beyond my ability to discuss the detail on this day. People grew more alarmed as police could not find a suspect. That's that's always a big thing with these murders. It's it's not it's bad enough that somebody got murdered. It's bad enough. It's bad enough that somebody's murdered. But then you know, you have the fact that they can't find the uh the the suspects that just makes everybody else uneasy because now you know now you know what especially when there's no details of is this a serial killer was this a personal thing was you know what i mean there's no details that makes everybody else uneasy because i mean anybody can get it <laughs> you know what i mean i don't mean to laugh at that but i'm just saying anybody can get it so it makes it more personal you know it's this very very scary feeling if they were to say on the news right now wherever you're listening from that there is a serial killer loose in your neighborhood. Immediately your heart is going to drop. And it should. Immediately things will change for you. You're gonna you're not you're not gonna send your kids to school the way you do if you have kids. You're not gonna walk the same way to work. You're not when you go to your car, it's gonna be something crazy. You're gonna park where there's a lot of light if you can't. You know what I mean? It's, a lot of things are gonna change. You know? Richard Williams, 87, of Reno, was a court reporter. District Attorney William Rongeau used to take down the statements of suspects as police interviewed them. Williams also remembers a, frightening com a frightened community. He had two young daughters at the time and remembers hearing a noise outside his window at home one night and finding footprints and freshly spaded dirt. He had difficulty sleeping for the next few nights. LaRue said that as city editor of the Reno Evening Gazette, he kept the most gruesome details of the McCaskey murder out of the paper. He grew up in Reno, and walking down the street, people would talk to him about the McCaskey coverage. I can remember people stopping me and, depl and deploringly saying, How can your newspaper run this kind of sensational, horrific detail, LaRue said. A half a block later, other people would stop me and say, Why won't you print the news? We have read the San Francisco papers to get all the detail. We have to read. The San, Francisco, the San Francisco newspapers to get all the details. So he had, this editor had people asking him, some people were like, why don't you, 
this is this is the, this is the and this is the imbalance that we have as a society you have some you know it, i mean this shows the the severity the levels of human mentality some people want everything i want all the gruesome details some people are saying no i don't why do you print this not even the some people just, why do you print this why do you print this you know what i mean and it's and it's crazy because you're not going to satisfy everybody i mean you're not here to satisfy you're here to report for example in this case but you know it said uh Roger and police needed the news media because they were hoping to le for leads to find a suspect. Roger and Reno Police Chief Elmer Brasco held a news conference to show the Gerot. A length of rope with clothespins as handles. They believed the killer used a McCaskey in his hopes that he might jog someone's memory. LaRue said he had never heard of the term Gerot before. I mean either. And the news media monitoring police radios followed Reggio in a cavern. Whether or not he or his investigators wanted them around. Police found a bloody footprint in the murder scene, but they had no one to match it with. As investigators, including 14 Reno police detectives, tracked down every clue, they got their big break. They found a camera instruction manual, but no camera. John Peavers, an investigator with the Washoe County District Attorney's Office, found that a camera at a Reno point shop. Thomas Lee Bean sold it for $10. So let's look at Bean's background. Oh, man. Let's read a little bit about this guy. I don't want to give this guy too much clout, like they say today. Bean was born in Reno and later complained to reporters he had moved 18 times in his first 18 years of life. His father, Elza Roy Bean, worked for a short time as a preacher. In June 1961, Thomas Bean was arrested in Salt Lake City after he tried to strangle a girl sleeping on a porch. <laughs> what? Jesus. The family moved to Las Vegas and Bean was transferred to the Nevada Youth Training Center in Elko. Bean spent eight months there before joining the family in Reno. This guy tried to strangle a girl sleeping on a... Okay. I'm going to talk about that in a second. This is going to be sound messed up and some of you are going to get upset what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it. A few weeks before the McCaskey murder, Elza Bean reported Thomas Bean's younger brother as a runaway and Thomas Bean helped police chase down his brother. Recalled Darrell Pelesi, 78, who worked on juvenile matters for Reno police then. So, let's go back to this. You try to choke a girl. Look, man. I've got, I got a daughter. I got sons. Any of my sons, any of my kids, you know, the love that you have for your child is, I mean, if we can, if if we can use the love that a true parent has for a child as power, we could power this earth for a million years. You know what I mean? We could light up a city forever. You know, the real love, the love that I have for my kids, the love that I'm sure a lot of you listeners have for your children or your family and your whatever, you know, your loved ones. Um, especially the kids, though. We can power. You know, a city for a long time. And um, if we could transfer into energy, but sometimes we don't, we, that love can be a double-edged sword, especially in a lot of these cases that I've seen. Um, let me tell you why. And, you know, it, it's a difficult thing that will, I don't think will ever be rectified, will ever be fixed. Or will, I, there's no solution for it. It just is what it is. When you have love for somebody, right? It's a great thing. 
But in this case, just look at this. The kid strangled a girl while she was sleeping on the porch. This is way before the murder. So, the, you know, most of us, we will protect our children, whether they, you know, oh, he was just whatever. No, we'll just put him in therapy, whatever, you know. We will not lock up our child if we don't have, you know, unless other forces, other outside forces intervene. We won't lock up our child. We won't put our child in prison. I think most of us won't do it no matter what he does. It has to be, an ex you know, extreme cases where, yeah, okay, he obviously murders. Okay, I have no choice. Cause, and again, there's outside forces. People already seen it. But it's not like most people won't call the police on their child when they do something bad. Most people, well, it's hard. It's hard, especially if your child didn't do anything ill towards you. You know what I mean? It's, but, you know, I'm not talking about the cases where the child goes and attacks the parents or something like that. You know, I'm talking about, like, he attacks somebody else. Whenever your child, like, you know, your your child beats somebody up. Yeah, he beats somebody up, and you're going to say, hey, man, you don't do that. You know, you got to respect people, whatever. But you normally take the you normally take your child's side regardless. You're, you're going to want to know why he beat him up. You know, you know what I mean? You normally take his side. You know, I've seen this a lot with bully cases where the bullies, you know, the parents have a bully. And a lot of parents will take the side of the, you know, they, they'll be like, yeah, we're, we're going to handle it. But they're still kind of taking the side of the bully. It's their child, you know, and, and you, you kind of understand that. I saw a case, and I'm going to do that case too, where uh, I'm watching I'm watching a show called My Internet uh, Horror or something like that, where people have these crazy encounters with people on the internet and blah, blah, blah. And one of them was an aunt. Not to deviate from this story, not to take away from this story, but real quick. One of them was an aunt. Now, she adopted, she took custody of her niece because her niece was getting in trouble always, uh, you know, going to going to juvenile, whatever. So she took custody of her, you know, and she loved her. Now, this wasn't her child. She didn't raise her, but, you know, she was like, you know, let me take custody of this family. Let me do the family thing. So in this case, she didn't have that connection of a parent like people, normal, you know, you, you would with your kid. She just had that, okay, this is my family member. Let me do the family thing. I do love her. She's a child. She's my niece, my sister, my brother's uh, whatever. But what happened was the girl was online a lot. The aunt, um, she was always talking to boys and blah, blah, blah. She was monitoring her Facebook. The girl blocked her, her aunt from Facebook so she wouldn't see anything that she does. What's, what does the aunt do? She makes a fake profile uh, with a picture of a young boy, you know, good-looking boy. And she pretends that she's this boy so that she can and so that the niece can friend her and she can still check on her. Well, well long story short, they, they're back and forth talking. So, you know, and her aunt just wants the profile to see her to monitor her. But what happens is they start back and forth talking. The aunt and, and the, the niece is like, hey, when you just come to my house, boys do it all the time. She's finding out all this stuff because she's just coming. You know, she falls in love with the picture. The aunt, the niece falls in love with the picture, of, you know, the fake picture. And she thinks she's talking to that boy. Well, long story short, at the end, she gets fed up with the aunt because the aunt sits down and says, hey, you're you're punished. You can't go out. You know what I mean? You, you got to do your homework. And, you you know, being an aunt, being, a, being an adult, the girl gets mad, 
breaks and whatever, gets on the in- back on Facebook on Messenger and messages this boy, who she thinks is a real boy, not her aunt. She doesn't know it's her aunt, and says, "I need you. Uh, hey, can you come over? Whatever. Let's plan this. Whatever." She's tells the boy to kill her aunt and the dog. Everything in the house. She said, "Kill the aunt and the dog. I want them both dead." And he's like, and her aunt's like, "What?" You know, she, she's still responding like. And she's scared now, like, what the hell? And she's, and you know, she she's like, let me see how, what, how far she's gonna take this. Um, the the on the day that the thing that it was supposed to happen, she goes, hey, I'm gonna have my bags packed. They're gonna be outside of my room. Just coming through the back. I'm gonna leave the door open. Well, the aunt checked everything. Checked out. She had her bags packed, and she left the back door open so that the supposed fake boy can come in and kill the aunt. But the aunt had called the police. The police, she showed that to the police. The police came and took the girl away. You know, and she's in prison now. No remorse. And unfortunately, I feel like that's how we should be in a situation with a loved one. But we're not. And I think I've spoken too much about it. I think you guys are already like, hey, what about McCaskey? What about McCaskey? Sorry about that. Um. Okay, so... Let's get to how it happened, to how this happened. All right. Uh, on April 4, 1963, Bean was out driving and spotted McCaskey's Triumph sports car parked parked to her next to her Yori Avenue duplex. McCaskey had left her laundry out back to dry. Bean found that, including her slips. He found he also found McCaskey had left her back door unlocked. People, lock your doors. My wife gets mad at me because I'm so anal about locked doors. And I'm talking about even inside the house, I lock doors. Even rooms. Lock your doors. My wife had this awful habit of going to sleep and leaving the back door open, the back uh, sliding door open. And I worked law enforcement and I was in the military for years. I've been in combat and I just, my security and I worked um, executive protection my security sense is heightened above the normal level, okay? And I, I won't, I cannot sleep with a door. If I, if I imagine a door unlocked, I can't sleep. I've, I literally have gotten up from a dead sleep just to go check the doors that I've already checked that were locked. Yes, it's a little bit, um, you know, extreme, I guess, for some people, but that's me. And I, when we first bought this house, you know, we're in a really nice neighborhood, but I told my wife, you know, I don't know if she, if she, you know, because our, our neighbors are our friends. We're really good friends with our neighbors. We don't have uh, the fences yet that divide the houses. It's one of those neighborhoods where the fences are all together. I mean, I'm sorry, where the houses, like, kind of, so, like, right now, if you go to my yard and you look left and right, you can see everybody else's yard. Like, everybody else's. Like, there's no fence. No fences. You can see all the way down, left and right. You, you can walk right onto my neighbor's property. Walk right onto it from my house. Just no fence, no climbing anything, just straight, straight shot, right? I haven't put up a fence yet. I'm going to. Um, Just a privacy fence. But, you know, even if you had a fence, people can climb over a fence. But the thing is, I don't know if she got, I don't know what it was with her. She just like, this. I came home one day. I was so pissed off. I came home one day. Now, look, it said here she left her back door unlocked. It, it, it what if her door was locked? Let's say that Sonia McCaskey's door was locked, right? 
let's say it was locked would would we would be even would we even be reading this story let's say just the fact that it was locked just that would have what if that would have been the deterring factor if he would have just been trying and trying so much that somebody saw him and then he just like got spooked and left and and decided to i don't know leave can you imagine that a simple lock i came home one time I came. I was coming home when I first started the night shift on my job. I was coming home at you know at three thirty in the morning, like I said, and I come. I I I go to my door and I come straight in, no key, nothing. I just turned the turned the knob, and I woke my wife up. I was pissed, and then I went to the back door, open, and I told her, "You're not gonna understand until there's somebody." standing and, and this is exactly how i said it and it may, may sound harsh but i said you're not going to understand the severity of closing a door until there's somebody standing over you with a with, with an axe or a machete or a knife or somebody comes in and does something to the kids you're not going to understand i don't think and i told i said that to my boys and to my oldest because my oldest son is staying with us right now. i said you guys aren't going to understand until some until you until you experience a trauma like that. You're not going to understand the importance of why I'm so anal about closing doors. I mean, I am super freaking anal about closing doors. A little bit, maybe a little bit too much. This right here just, I hate using the word triggered, but it triggered me. He also found McCaskey had left her back door unlocked. Don't leave your doors unlocked. Don't leave them unlocked. Lock your doors. Give yourself a chance. Because here's the thing. If if you... I'm not, not saying that they can't get into a locked door. They could break it down. But somebody really has to want to get you. You know, there's something else going on now. I mean, if you lock a door and it's locked and they have to, you know... Okay, I want you to think about this. If you're a bad guy, you don't want to make noise. You don't want to get caught. If there's a locked door, you got to make noise. You got to kick that thing. Bow, bow, bow. You got to kick it. At a minimum, a cheap lock you have to kick. You know what I mean? To get in, so you're not gonna want to go through that. Most, most. I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but most of the time, that's the thing. You're not. Nobody wants to get into that. You know, if you're a bad guy and you and you're gonna do bad, nobody wants to make all that noise. You're gonna make noise, and the neighbor's gonna come out and bloom, and and you're done. But if you got an unlocked door, just unlock it, go in, and just wait. Anyway, Roger would say Bean spent about five hours inside McCaskey's home, leaving between 5 a.m. and 5.30. It's not clear which side of midnight Bean entered her home with his garrote and knife, but he took off his shoes, Bean wore no socks, and crawled around in every room to make sure no one besides McCaskey was in the home. Bean told investigators he played records on McCaskey's stereo as he cut her up. He's, oh, my God. This guy, oh, my God. All right, let's fast forward to, um, okay, let's fast forward. Roger and investigators developed enough evidence to take, to take Bean into custody and headed down to the Bean home on Neal Road. Lauren LaRude remembers a caravan of journalists followed, but was kept on Neal Road, away from the Bean home, which was down a short road. The location now has apartment buildings on it next to Miguel Rivera Park. I wouldn't even live there, man. Williams, who had been called as a court reporter to take statements as police eliminated suspects, was also called to take in Bean's statement. 
He remembers walking down the hallway at the Reno police station with Roger and others as Bean came walking with police officers at the other end of the hall. Suddenly, Bean bolted and everyone, including Williams, gave chase. Bean made it out of the police station and ran down East 2nd Street. Williams remembered a police officer fired warning shots but couldn't remember how many. Newspaper clippings indicated it was five. That brought traffic to a stop, Williams said. Finally, Detective Ralph Andrani caught up with Bean. Bean then cooperated with police and described the murder when they took him back to McCaskey's home. Williams transcribed statements. At one point, it was just him and Bean in the room in McCaskey's home as others talked outside. He turned to me and said, You want to know something, Williams said. I said, No. What, Tom? He said, No one's bothered to search me yet. Williams got up and walked outside to Chief Briscoe. I said, Hey, Chief, guess what? No one's bothered to search Tom yet. Williams said, and, and police promptly searched Bean for weapons. Bean's father worked for Washoe County, taking inventory of county property. Williams ran into the elder Bean at the courthouse two days after taking Bean's detailed confession. I recall coming to work the next Monday and his dad telling me his son could never do something like that. What did I say? What did I say about parents, about how we are? Williams remembered. I said, well, I think maybe he did. What did I say about parents? You know? Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. Now, let's jump real quick to something that I, I mean, Jimmy, I've been jumping all over the place with this. Um. But let me just read this little snippet here, little paragraph. And this is from, uh, this is now. Fast forward, Bean is in his 60s probably, I think 50s, 60s. Um, and he got interviewed and it says here, during one of the, I guess one of the interviews, it says, Bean sometimes talked about the motive for the McCaskey murder. This is recent, not recent, but you know, later on. Although generally he did not talk about it, when Bean was six years old, his mother had a lot of male visitors, Elliot said. That's then. That's when the seeds of his fantasy were planted. Um, it said when he, was, when he first had sex with anybody, he was going to kill that person, Elliot said. He said that Bean thought about it for 12 years. Then he finally acted on the fantasy. Okay. Here's the here's the here's the here's the thing about that, man. You gotta you got to back to children, man. You've got to be careful, man. Some people, you know, are very um some people when when you have children, right? When you have when you have children, a lot of things in your life have to change. A lot of things you do have to change. Listen, I was a different person before I had my kids. Before I even had my daughter. My daughter lives in Germany. She's, you know, she's already, she's, she's almost a, a woman already. But um, she, she's a she's a young lady, you know, uh, almost 18. But before I even had my daughter, I had no kids before my daughter, obviously. That's my oldest child, right? Uh, and I got, I, got my, I got my boys. But look, when you have kids, you got to change. Before... I had my my kids, any of my kids. 
I was, I was, I was, I was a wild head, man. I was out there. I was out there. I was out there doing shit. I was out there doing shit. I was out there with, you know, I had, I had, I had girlfriends, women. I had, I was partying all the time. You know, I spoke different. I mean, you gotta change. People that y'all oh, keep it real, man. You get get the fuck out of here. You have to change according to your situation. I tell people that all the time. When you when when even when you even when you get more money, even when you're making more money, when you become more money, especially if you become rich, you gotta change. You gotta leave the people who you used to hang out with alone. I'm sorry, man. You know, I mean, as harsh as it sounds, you no, oh, that's being fake. No, no, you do. There was you know, there's cases. There's one one particular case right right around uh, close to here, the next county over. Dude won the lottery. He's rich now, right? But he still wanted to hang out in the hood. Guess what happened? Ended up getting killed. Ended up getting murdered. And lost all the money because everybody in the hood wanted him to buy him something. And he bought everybody something. Lost all the millions. It was like, a, I don't remember how many money. It was like 11 million or something. Blew it all. And got murdered. <sighs> Come on. You've got to change. And it's not, I'm not saying you're going to get murdered all the time. But I'm just saying, you've got to change. When you have kids, you have to change. You have to. And look what happened. Look what happened here. His mom, she says she had a lot of male visitors. Now, I don't know what that means. She, she, you know, she should have been more careful with what she does in front of the kid. The kid is looking at different guys coming in. His mom, who I'm sure he probably loved, you know, that was the woman in his life. You know, when you're a young man, a young a young boy, the woman in your life is your mom. That's your mom. You don't want to see whatever. God knows if he heard them having sex and it sounded like, you know, it to him, it, it, he didn't know what sex was at six. He didn't know that shit. He just, uh, oh, my God, are they hurting her? Are they What's going on? Something bad's happening? You know what I mean? So... You know, that manifests later on, like, so, you know, he he's thinking, okay, when I have sex now, I'm going to kill her. Because I don't want that. I don't I, he He's associating the pain of hearing the, the woman who he loved in his life having sex, right? Which sounded to him like somebody being hurt. So to eliminate that pain again, when he has sex with a female... He's going to kill her to eliminate that pain. That's 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 the rationality. That's the that's what his brain manifested. That's what his brain put together. This is how you're going to handle this because there was no help for him and because the parent was negligent. You cannot do shit that you do in front of a child like you did when you were single. In front of your friends, it doesn't freaking matter. In front of your child, in front of children, you've got to be careful. Once you have a child, you've got to change. Stop all this keeping it. I grew up on that keeping it real bullshit. Okay? And that only, that only, that keeping it real bullshit only goes to certain things. Certain situations and to certain points. Some people take it to the extreme level like this. Oh, yeah, keep it real. I ain't going to change for no. Fuck. You've got to change. I'm sorry about the cursing, man. I'm getting emotional. You know what I mean? But you've got to change. Change has to. When you have a child, you've got to change. This is what happens when you don't act like a parent. 
Where the hell was the father? The father was there, obviously. He had different, I guess, the mom and dad were separated because, then the, but the father said, like, because if she had different guys coming in, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and I, I already knew. When, when I heard, when I heard how he murdered, you know, I already knew there was something behind it. I knew there was something behind it. You know what I mean? And not saying that just because there's a, it's a two-parent household, whereas the mother and dad, that it's going to be great. Always. Because just because you have two parents doesn't mean you have two good parents. If you have two bad parents, that's worse than having one parent. One, I'd rather have one good parent than have two bad parents. You know what I mean? I grew up in a single mom household, but my mom always always had me in touch with my grandfather. So I had that male figure there all the time, you know, to set me straight all the time whenever I did something bad. I never saw my mom with multiple guys. She had, I think, uh, the whole time she had uh, two boyfriends. And I knew them both, and they were both great guys. You know, um, my uh, brother's father. She was with him for years. And then, and she, and every time something, like, if she it went... You know, they didn't see each other anymore. She explained it to me. She sat down. Look, this is I never saw her doing anything crazy. You know, so she was a responsible, responsible parent. A lot of, you know, like a lot of people that I know are. The people that I hang around with are responsible. If you're not responsible, I'm not hanging around with you. You know what I mean? Also, as people, we've got to take responsibility. And everybody's afraid. Everybody doesn't want to be the snitch. Oh, the snitch, the snitch, the snitches, the snitches, the snitches. It's whack. It's not cool to be a snitch. That's what that's what the rap music tells me. You know what I'm saying? I listen to rap. So, you know, the, the rap music tells me you can't be a snitch. Because then I'm, I'm uncool and I'm be shunned from my people, right? But if you see that, it, that there's a child that is in a situation that he shouldn't be in, that you feel is bad, Man, call it anonymously, man. Have that shit checked out. Because that's when you breed guys like this. What this guy did to this... I'm not defending what he did at all. Ridiculous for me to do that. But what he did manifested from something from when he was a child. Six years old. Seeing men coming in and out. You know, they they said male vis. Male visitors. He had male visitors. I mean, uh, mom had male visitors. You know what I mean? That manifested from male visitors. If somebody would have intervened and and then they would have like, hey, man, you're unfit to be his mom or to be this person's mom, whatever, you know, take it. You know, no child should have to go. Children don't have to go through that. You know what I mean? This is where you breed all this hate, all this confusion in humans when then when they grow up they become like this idiot here and do this heinous crazy crime so but anyway that's all i got for y'all man again go check out the youtube channel man creepy cigar on youtube creepy cigar on youtube and as always don't forget to like, subscribe, follow me on social media. Social media. I still got the socials out here, man. I got the socials. The socials. Let me see. I got the... um. Huh. Do I have a creepy cigar one? Yes, I do. 
<laughs> the Twitter. I have an Instagram. I have an Instagram. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put the Instagram back up. I'm gonna put the Instagram back up. But um on Twitter it is creepy cigar one at creepy cigar one and then Twitter I've gotta um I gotta put it back I gotta put it back up man I gotta put it back up I think it's creepy cigar I don't remember um exactly what it is I think it's creepy cigar <laughs> but anyway yeah man Follow me on social media, man. Follow me on social media. And as always, I will see you on the next smoke. All right? Oh, no, that's not what I wanted to do, man. Let's all go down the rabbit hole of conspiracies, fears, and mysteries. <laughs>